This is a podcast where we play Dungeons and Dragons with each other, but I have no idea what this episode is about. So if you find out, please let me know. Thank you. Welcome to Make Believe Heroes Season 3.5. You're listening to Episode 3, Calamity. We really hope that you've been enjoying the season so far. Uh, We've received a lot of word from our patrons and fans online. If you would like to get in touch with us, go to Twitter, follow us at MBH Podcast, or we're now on Instagram at MBH Podcast. Follow us on there or at Facebook.com slash, you guessed it, MBH Podcast. We love interacting with our fans, and I'm curious what everyone thinks of Season 3 so far. I'm really going to be curious after this particular episode. Just so everyone is aware, we will get back to our normal reading of reviews and shout-outs for our patrons and all of that good stuff as soon as we get back into Season 4. But for today, we're going to get right into the action. So let me give you a quick recap of what happened last time on Make Believe Heroes. Last time, there was a secret convocation of some very powerful figures. You might know them as the Dracon Kelly. As the brethren that still remained of the Dracon Kelly gathered under the red sigil of Rivora the Fury in a secret, ruined meeting place within the Elder Mountains. Each of them were put to the test by their sister to decide now whether or not they will join her in defending this world from the darkness that seeks to overwhelm it. As it seemed that perhaps most of her brethren would walk away, suddenly a long-lost sister appeared, Vinraya. True to her name, she had slyly faked her own death, but now she has returned in their hour of need and is joining with Rivora, Hopenkel, and Pranciana as they seek an audience with Atonia to rejoin the battle for Manumi. Meanwhile, in the canopy, many led PB and J along with Colmas into the Corine. However, Colmos, due to his connection to Demvarga, who had once destroyed the canopy, was kept in the holds beneath the Corine. Up above, Paldo led PB and J to meet with Nephiel and won Jimalil Karth. There they discussed what's going on in the world, how that Saul had gone missing, and they had been sent here to find the Unchained. Agreeing to let them stay and to help them find these ne'er-do-wells, Nephiel kept PB and J there in the Corine while descending with Jim to speak with Colmas. The episode ended as Colmas agreed to go with Jim to meet with Atonia. If anyone could grant him redemption, then surely it would be her. The bright sun trickles down through the leaves onto the road through Fallen Grove. An ornate black carriage comes into view tumbling along the path. The driver pulls the reins, turning the horses off-road. The carriage bounces and rattles across the undergrowth as they head off of the beaten path. Many minutes pass as they travel through this rough terrain until the road opens up to a very large structure. 
grown up in the shape of an enormous fat-bellied tree with multiple trunks splitting off and ascending upward out of the top. As the carriage comes to a stop right in front of this tree, a number of green cloaked figures descend from the branches all around them, bows drawn and arrows knocked. A tall elf with short spiky black hair steps forward toward the door of the chariot, one hand resting on the scimitar at his side. Unless you have a death wish, I suggest you reveal yourselves and your intentions immediately. The door to the chariot swings open, and stepping out comes the tall, imposing figure of Lord Sebastian Blackfire. His black robes are swept back, revealing a deep maroon vest underneath. His pitch-black skin almost seems to drink in the light around him as he begins walking toward the door carved into the front of this tree. I, 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 I said stop. The elf draws his scimitar, stepping quickly toward Blackfire. There is a crack like lightning, and the elf falls on the ground, screaming. Talia stands beside the cabin, one foot still inside the door. Electric power still crackles around her fingertips as the spell ends. Do not you dare lay a hand on my husband. No, no, Talia. We must be kind to our hosts. Sebastian leans down and, with one hand, lifts the elf back up onto his feet with ease. Please forgive our hostility. It has been a long and arduous journey. I am Sebastian Blackfire, the governor of the great city of Brightport. I have come to speak with the Lady Ilyana. We have some business to discuss. The elf's eyes grow wide at his words. And with a quick motion, he signals for his men to lower their bows. Uh, of course, my lord. Uh, please, we did not expect you. If you would follow me. The elf steps forward in a hurry, whispering through a small opening in the door. And then it swings open wide for them all. The shiv, along with Miles, steps down out of the carriage, following the governor and his wife inside the tree. The elf leads them quietly through the house. Eyes follow them as they pass through toward a lush office on the south side of the home. The elf pauses, knocking on the large green door. My lady, you have a visitor. Uh, Lord Blackfire has come to discuss business with you. Uh, yes, um, just a, just a moment. The sound of hurried shuffling can be heard just inside. Then, with a click, the door opens. Standing in the doorway is Ileana Golas. She is a slender elf with dark auburn hair, clothed in a deep green dress. Her large hazel eyes are wide as she looks upon her visitors. Lord Blackfire, I am so sorry. I was unaware that you would be visiting today. Please come in, make yourselves comfortable. All of her guests enter the room behind her. She takes a seat on a large armchair, motioning for them to seat themselves on the couches. Send for us some tea, Haldar, if you please. The spiky-haired elf gives a slight bow and leaves the room, closing the door behind him. Lord Blackfire, it is our honor to host you here. I am sorry for the state of the house. We've, we've been working tirelessly on the renovations since the destruction of the Lane Golas Inn. But of course, these things do take time. It is no bother, Ileana. I think the new home is quite magnificent. 
Why, thank you, my lord. The door opens again, and three elves usher in a tray of tea and cakes. Lord Sebastian, with your permission, of course, I would inquire what sort of business has brought you to our doorstep today? Ileana asks carefully. Ah, yes, about that. I have a very important business matter that I would like to discuss with you. It is my understanding that things have been going quite well for you here, with the coalition between the Hotfeet and the Free Leaves. Shiv speaks very highly of your work. Ileana feigns blushing. You honor me, Lord Blackfire. Not at all, Liliana. You honor yourself. You've bounced back in full force. I'll not lie to you. When those fools destroyed your inn in the canopy, <laughs> I believed that would be the end of the Free Leaves. But I'm glad to say that I was wrong. You've rebuilt, Ilyana, and you've done so quite swimmingly. It is because of your success that I've come to you this morning. I would like to enlist your aid, Ilyana. I would like to hire you. I have the hot feet at my disposal, of course, but your people have insight that the Shivs lack. They know the canopy. Well, that is certainly true, Ileana responds. What sort of operation are you hoping to take on in the canopy, my lord? Well, Sebastian says, hesitating for a moment. I have a two-part operation in mind. For the part of the Golas, my lovely wife Talia, along with the Shiv here, will be going now to the canopy. I will be departing for a time, along with some of our hot footmen. We have to procure something, something of particular importance for an upcoming ritual or something like that. I will be arriving on the day of the autumnal equinox, around 3 p.m. Dahlia will make the necessary political preparations, and Shiv will assist your agents in maintaining control. That is, if you are amenable. Ileana takes a sip from her teacup, choosing her words with care. My lord, Blackfire, I mean absolutely no offense, but are you saying that you intend to seize the canopy? To take it by force? Blackfire leans forward, looking into her eyes intently. Is that going to be a problem? She shudders involuntarily. I know, my lord, not on my account. It is just that the leaf guard, sir, they have strengthened their force and their defenses tenfold since the destruction of the canopy. They will be on very high alert, especially on such a day as the autumnal equinox. It's, it's the most important day of the year for the people of Fallen Grove. It would take practically all of my forces to accomplish such a task on the day of the equinox. Then I shall require all of your forces, Ileana. Blackfire stands, brushing down his long black overcoat. You will, of course, be compensated immensely. I hope that this will be the first of many collaborations between the two of us. I, uh, I he ignores her mutterings as he turns, walking toward the door. Shiv and Talia can answer any questions you might have. I know that you will not fail me, Ileana. Thank you again for the tea. 
And without another word, he steps out into the hall, closing the door behind him. Ileana, halfway up from her seat, flops back down onto the cushion, exasperated. Uh, Don't worry, Ileana, says the Shiv. I'll take good care of your people. It's not as if you have any choice in the matter, is it? She looks blankly at him, dumbfounded. Shiv, I don't think you quite understand. Nephiel, the new archdruid, he is not like Elevanre. That old man let us by with a lot. I think he almost found our scuffles entertaining. Nephiel has no such patience for wrongdoing, and he has weaponized the leaf guard like no one before him. If we rise against them in the canopy, if we rise against them and try to take it on the day of the autumnal equinox, he will bring down the full strength of the Corrine. You do know that the Archdruid of Fallen Grove moves the hand of Atonia, don't you? And I mean that literally, Shiv, not figuratively. The Shiv grins at her, his scar pulling his upper lip up, transforming it into a grimace. No, Ileana. I think it's you who doesn't understand. When Sebastian is finished with them, they'll need the hand of a god. The streets of the canopy are aflutter this early autumn morning. The air is cool, but not uncomfortably so. As the days grow closer to the equinox, the greenery of Fallen Grove exudes a scent of comfort into the very air they breathe. Archdruid Nephiel inhales deeply, savoring the hearty smell of home. As he walks through the streets, heading toward the Corrine, he smiles, giving a small bow of his head to an elderly gnomish woman as she leads her grandchildren down toward the arid branch. Passing her by, he enters the open gate of his home, the Corrine. The bright sunlight shines down through the great leaves that compose the roof in red, orange, yellow, and green. It is quiet and peaceful inside this morning, as preparations for the equinox have not quite taken off just yet. Several denizens of the canopy pass in and out of the open sanctum, where they lay offerings of fruit and nuts from the forest. Nephiel greets each of them gladly, then takes his leave, entering the dining chamber on the western end of the room. Inside, a few are still enjoying their breakfast. Among them, seated alone at a small wooden table near the back, is Paldo, the caretaker of the Corrine, along with one of their new guests, Bill Hicks. Many days and even weeks now have passed since PB and J joined them in the Corrine. They've been hard at work with the Leaf Guard, but so far their search for any suspicious activity has not led them to any nefarious plots. As Nephiel steps into the room, Paldo looks up, seeing him. Oh, hello, Nephiel. Good morning. I hope that you're doing well. Uh, we were just we were just talking about you, actually. Bill here, uh, he's got some some ideas. Why don't you come join us? Sit down, have a spot of breakfast. Nephiel walks over, grabbing a chair. He has a seat next to them. Good morning, Paldo. Good morning, Bill. It's good to see you. I hope that um. Everything is going well for you? After some time here, how are you settling into the canopy and the Corrine? Is everything to your liking? 
I'm I'm actually settling in quite well. I really like the leaves here. <laughs> y- yes, the beauty of Fallen Grove is unparalleled throughout the rest of Monumi, so I'm glad to hear that you appreciate it. Are the provisions for your rooms and everything, are they to your liking? Is everything good? Are you comfortable? Yeah, I've never actually had a bed that was this comfortable before. And most of the time, me and my brother uh, back at the farmhouse had to share a bed. Mm. And he pushed me off the bed quite often. Well, I'm glad to hear that everything is to your liking. And how are things going with the preparations? I know that you and Paul, though, have been hard at work with your heads down for our mission, if we'll call it that, our concerns about these unchained folk and their intent for the Equinox. Well, actually, sir, Bill here had a very interesting and, if I might say, ingenious idea uh, that can help with that. You know, we don't really know who it is that has bad plans for the Corrine, and so far, from what I understand, many in, in the Leaf Guard haven't found anything or anyone to be particularly concerned about, but uh, Bill had a great idea. Bill, Bill, why don't you tell him what you were just telling me? Yeah, yeah. So me and Paul, though, uh, we've been... Planning on using something along the lines of Paylor's divine magic. I see. To uh, set up wards around the canopy in the Corrine. Wards? Yes. What sort of wards would these be? Basically, these spells are going to be trap spells. Mm. It's for... I can cast wards of dispel evil and good, as well as detect evil and good. So I will place these kind of in the same spot, and as one goes off, it sets off the other trap spell. And hopefully we'll either dispel it or we'll know that it's there. So I see. So if, say, something purely evil were to pass through these wards, I assume that it would alert you in some way? Yeah. Um, it's actually the sound of like a thousand voices screaming in my head. Ah. Yeah. Well... I suppose that... quite terrifying, I'm not going to lie. I wish I could change that, but uh, it's kind of been like that. I suppose that works. Do these just persist, or do you have to redo them every day? Uh, I have to redo them every day at sunset. I see. Well, I suppose that that's going to take a considerable amount of energy from you. I do greatly appreciate your help with this, Bill. It's no problem. Anything, you know always wanted to be in something that's bigger than myself and now i feel like i'm doing something with my life well i uh i do appreciate it and once this is all said and done of course we will we will be sure to compensate you for the work that you've done oh there's no need to compensate me this is for the good of manumi and paylor would have me do this this is a holy and divine mission well be that as it may I'm sure that we can give you something in return for all your work, but that that's that's neither here nor there. How are your your siblings doing? How is Phil and how is Jill? Yeah, Phil's doing great. He he's been getting to know the Leaf Card a lot. He's really liking it there, and they've been going around and, of course, doing their patrols and stuff. And I, I think he's I think he's settling in really nicely. I'm glad to hear that. And your sister? She's all right. <laughs> She's a, she's a little different because obviously we don't want her doing too much because she's our baby sister mm. and she's not really a hands-on person. So it's more or less, it just depends on how you look at things. 
she's she's helping with all the planning and stuff like that, but she's not really in the field. She's more of like a paperwork jockey. Hmm. I see. So nothing too risky for her then. Yes, of course. As Bill, Paldo, and Nephiel finish their breakfast, little does Bill know, Phil is meeting with Minnie deep underneath the Corrine. Not far at all from where the three of them and Colmas met Minnie and the other Leaf Guard soldiers not long ago. Inside of a hollowed-out tree in the meadow beneath the canopy, there are two familiar figures. One, an incredibly short gnomish woman with bright red hair and a broad-shouldered, stocky dwarf with a double-headed axe lying on the table next to him. Minnie is standing, leaning over a short table and pointing at some papers that are spread out before them. All right, Phil, when can we expect the next report from your sister? Uh, as far as I know, she's supposed to be back in the quarrying tonight, and we should expect a full report from her. Okay, well, I guess that will do. How is she doing? Is everything going good out there? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I don't know. Do you think she can handle herself? I'm pretty sure she can. Yeah, she's she's pretty smart and capable. Uh, yes. You'll have to forgive me. I, I don't know you all that well. She's your sister, so you should know her very well. And I trust your judgment. We have worked together for a, a little while now. But I, I do trust your judgment. So if you think that she will do a good job and stay safe and not get caught, then I'm, I'm okay with that. I mean, it's no small task to infiltrate the underbelly of the canopy. People come in here and they think, oh, this is a great place, the canopy, it's great, but there are bad people here. And you really think that your sister could fit right in amongst them? Oh, trust me, Jill's been stealing for a long time. I'm sure she can handle whatever it is she's dealing with. Somehow I find that both comforting and discomforting. And are you sure we should be keeping this from your brother? I really feel like you don't know what you're talking about. If Bill finds out, he will go off. He doesn't know she's stealing. He doesn't know that she's doing her thief things anymore. He can't know. What have you been telling him? I've just been telling him that she's been helping with the planning and the project creating He thinks she is completely out of harm's way. Ah, I see. Well, for both of our sakes, I hope she is out of harm's way. I don't feel great about the deception, but these are trying times, and we must do what we have to do. Nephiel made it very clear that we do whatever is necessary to keep these unchained from doing whatever they want to do. As for my part as commanding officer of the Leaf Guard... We have been diligently searching, and so far we have found no sign of the Unchained, or any nefarious plots for that matter. We've come across many 'er ne'er-do-wells, but none that I think might be involved in any insidious plot to overthrow the canopy, and or destroy all of Monumi. So that's good. Yeah, I I would think so. Uh, No bad guys equals good things. Yes, but it's also bad because we haven't found them, so we don't know what they're doing. Anyhow, what I wanted to talk to you about today is a group called the Free Leaves. You've probably never heard of them. They're pretty centralized to Fallen Grove. But during the incident, when the canopy was destroyed, most of them fled. 
This group was led by a woman. And she pulls a folder out from a little bag that she has and lays it down and opens it, and there's some parchment inside, and it is a dossier. At the top, there is a name written, Ileana Golos, under it a small description of her physical appearance. Ileana is a very witty and crafty elven woman, and she was essentially the head of a very strong black market. But they didn't often cause a lot of trouble. If we caught them doing anything illegal, we would stop them, but we weren't declaring open war on them. She started getting a little braver, a bit more dangerous. That is, until the incident. And her inn, the Langolos Inn, was actually destroyed right before that. She disappeared, but I believe if someone is trying to infiltrate and cause trouble for the canopy, the Langolos will be involved. So where do I find them? Anywhere? Do you know? Well, that's a good question. They're MIA and they have not been here in a while. But I expect they will come back. So we're going to keep an eye out for them. The truth is, if they do come back, I don't expect that we'll just know. She generally employs the sort of criminals that we've already been catching and arresting. So basically, if you come across anyone suspicious, any thugs or thieves, question them. Question them specifically about the Langolos, the Freelies. Use your better judgment and try to catch them red-handed, if you will. I'm just saying, I have a feeling that they will be involved. And if they are, we're going to see an increase in criminal activity as we get closer to the celebration of the Equinox. So what I'm hearing is if I catch one of these free leaves, torture is an option. Um, that's not a preferred option of the Leaf Guard. But at the end of the day, we will do whatever is necessary. We have to stop them. So do whatever you feel is comfortable. Honestly, I shouldn't even say any more. As commanding officer, I am. I shouldn't be hearing this conversation right now. She says, holding her hands up. Uh, message understood. And I give her a wink. Um, okay. So Jill is supposed to be back tonight with a full report. Perhaps she will know if the free leaves have been around doing anything. But for now, I suppose you could just go back out on patrol. Just keep an eye out for anything suspicious. Thank you, Phil. She says with a salute. Will do, thank you. Phil stands, taking his leave of Minnie and heading back up the steps. He heads back out toward the canopy to resume his patrol and to keep an eye out for the Unchained. The sun begins its descent as the golden orange light gleams down through the autumn leaves on the trees. High above the forest floor, the leaves of twelve enormous oaks stretch out like an umbrella, shading a gorgeous meadow beneath. The floor of the meadow is littered with lilies, orange, red, and yellow. Toward the center of the meadow, there are two stumps, their tops carved smoothly. Seated atop the larger stump is a short woman. She is sitting cross-legged, her large almond eyes closed in meditation. Her brown hair hangs down around her coffee-colored cheeks, and she's adorned in a tight-fitting dress woven of orange, red, and green leaves. Her eyes open suddenly, glowing with a deep orange light as she sees two dark figures approaching in the dim light of dusk. They are both hidden beneath black traveler's cloaks as they enter the meadow. 
but the first quickly pulls back his hood to reveal himself. Hell, milady. Oh, hello, Jim. Welcome. Thank you. You're a little late. I expected you hours ago. I got held up. So many things to see and record. And he holds up his journal. Sure, sure. As expected. Um, Jim, I don't know if you noticed, but there's someone with you. Oh, yeah, I noticed. And he gives a swirl with his eyes. I see all. I'm pretty sure I asked you to never bring guests to our meetings. Or, or did I? Did I tell you that? I thought you said I could have a plus one. You know what? I'm really not sure now that I think about it. <laughs> uh, but I definitely meant to tell you that, you know, being a god, it's kind of a secret thing here that you're meeting with me. Uh, hello. Um, who are you? Colmas pulls his head back, revealing himself, his dark, green, almost black skin, and his different colored eyes. He immediately goes down to one knee in a sign of obeisance. Goddess, my name is Colmas. Jemalil has brought me to you that I might ask for your forgiveness. She looks taken aback. She looks at you. Jim, do you know who this is? Yeah, he, he uh, Lorik fried him a while back. Correct me if I'm wrong, but are you a creation of Dimvarga? He hesitates for a moment before speaking. I am. Well, this just got interesting, didn't it, Jim? Uh, that's what I strive for. Well, Jim, I suppose if you brought him here, you thoroughly questioned him, no danger of of him, like, trying to kill us or anything. I figured you could handle it. You're right. She motions her hand, and a third stump grows up over next to the one across from her. Why don't the two of you have a seat? Let's have a chat. Jim sits down. He starts to get cross-legged, but then he gets really uncomfortable mm. and tries another position and then tries another. He's like, I should start some yoga. And then finally he just sits awkwardly. Colmas looks over at the stump and then back at Atonia. Slowly he stands, walks over, and also has a seat very awkwardly. So, what do you have for me, Jim? Some news from the canopy? How are things? Well, not well. Ah, no? So, peanut butter and jelly, Phil, Bill, and Jill, whom I've told you before of. Yes. They reported that they're... Paladin friend Saul, working with Paylor, has vanished. He was supposed to come to the canopy to help prepare for the assault at the Autumnal Equinox or whatever was happening there, but he's nowhere to be found, and they're searching frantically for him. Ah, so Saul is gone. Well, yes, apparently. He's somewhere where he cannot be found. Right, right, right. Yeah, I, I know all about that. So, hmm. Okay, so peanut butter and jelly. Aren't those, that's just cool names. I'd like to meet them sometime. Uh, are they cool? You like them? Are they nice? They're nice. Cool, 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 cool. Okay, anyhow, so they came to the canopy to do what Saul was supposed to do, which is find out if the Unchained, as I guess we're calling them, are still planning to just mess things up during the Equinox. Yeah, and they're working with Nifael to try to shore things up. I mean, they're still putting out feelers for Saul. That's their that's their hope. But Nifael and those three have been preparing for the worst just in case. 
Sure, I, I'm sure Nephiel has the leaf guard on full alert. I'm not going to lie, I expected as much. You see, um, while you were away taking care of business, I actually had a uh, had a little meeting with um, Paylor and Prevalian and Dervetter. Ah, a council of the gods. Indeed, in the chamber of the gods. <laughs> First time I've been there in a while. You should check it out sometime. I'd love to. Uh, actually, no. You probably won't get to do that. Oh? Uh, maybe I'll sneak you in sometime just for fun. Ooh. How? Oh, I'm, I'm a god. Right, but you're dealing with you're sneaking past other gods, like yeah, they're not they're not in there usually. We only go there whenever we're having like big meetings. Oh, cool. And besides, Paylor took some people in there a while back, so it's totally fine if I do it. So anyhow, uh, I met with them, and yeah, I told you that the gods we don't really get involved. Yeah, that rings a bell. So um, we're we're done with that. Uh, turns out, Paylor actually. This is really kind of funny. He, like, pretended to be a human, went to Branshire, and was just kind of walking around, which apparently he has been doing all the time. But he was like, oh, it was very hands-off, whatever. He just liked to go check things out and interact with his children, as he calls them. But this time, he got a little more involved. Apparently, well, it's like I've told you, you know, with the whole Unchained business and uh, with Demvarga... Bad things are happening. Uh, it seems like they're really working really, really hard to bring back the... Um, <clears throat> she looks over at Cole Moss and then back at you. Crooked Father? Yeah, that's that's bad news. So, isn't Paylor lawful? Is he breaking his law? Doing what he's doing? Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. Can y'all just do that? Just renege on your, like, was it a pinky swear? Like, or did y'all have some sort of pact sealed in blood or something like that? How, how does this work? She hesitates for a moment, kind of reaching up and running her fingers through her long brown hair. No, we didn't pinky swear, Jim. Not exactly. There is a price to breaking a vow such as the one that we made, Jim. I mean, bending it? Sure. And Paylor, while he is lawful, bending it for the greater good, you know, all of that. But what Paylor did, and what I am going to do, will be breaking that vow. In fact, I've already broken it. It's done right now, right here, with the three of us, here talking. Um, we've squeezed by here and there with a loophole, but breaking it completely, well, let's just say that there were provisions made for such a case as that, and we're here. Bravalian is not happy about it, <laughs> she says, obviously excited, laughing. And Dervetter is quiet. It's unclear exactly where he stands. But as for me and Paylor, we have decided, and we are breaking the vow. And that's that. So what does this mean? What What is the price? What is the cost? Oh, uh, don't worry about that. Uh, it It'll be fine. Nothing you need to worry about. Okay. I trust you. Okay. She looks over at Colmas. Oh, and uh, I guess the Drake and Kelly are looking for me. Oh, what's their deal? Are they fallen like the one we've dealt with, or are they still good? Colmas raises his head, looking at her. Yeah, that's right. Your um, uncle... Aunt? I'm not sure how you would describe them since you're not really a child of a Draco and Kelly because 
they can't have children. But yeah, uh, Rivora the Fury. She's the red. She, uh, the temper on her. She's been trying to find me. Uh, with some help from the others, they are, like us, ready to get involved. But you know me, I, I like to, I like to play hard to get. So I haven't revealed myself to them yet. They keep sending messages, praying, showing up in all my usual hangouts, but I just, I haven't been ready, but I think I'm, I'm almost there. Actually, you know what? She looks again at Colmas. Colmas, you say you're looking for uh, forgiveness, right? He bows his head again, nodding. I'll tell you what, here's this. I, you know, it's weird. Usually with, with people, I can kind of see what you've done. I could kind of see, like, you. You're like a blip. Like, I'm, I'm having trouble seeing you. So let's try this. If I give you... A purpose. I give you a sort of a, a pact, if you will, a, a, a vow, a connection between the two of us. Then maybe I can see you then a little better. How about you go as my messenger to Rivora? Colmas looks up at her. Rivora is yes. Uh, I, I whatever you ask, I will do whatever you ask. Well, that's good then. I'll send you to her, and you will tell her that. We're good. The gods are, are stepping in. The gods are getting involved. And the dragons are getting involved. And we're circling back around to this thing. And we're going to, you know, we're going to really get in there and, and, and take care of business. Okay, so you tell her that I will send word. And I want them to travel to Branshire. Tell them to go to Branshire to the Temple of Pelor, And the god of the sun will meet them there. Can you do that? He stands drawing his sword and laying it at her feet. I will do as you ask. And as he does that, she stands and kind of hovers over to him, placing a hand on his shoulder, and there is a sort of glowing light that envelops him. And as he looks up, you notice, Jim, that before where he had two eyes, one black and one a deep green, now they glow with an autumnal orange light. There we go. Now I can see you. You go tell Rivora that we're going to work together and we're going to stop the Unchained. He stands, sheathing his sword. He turns to you, Jim. Jim Alil, thank you. You have given me purpose again. Yeah, glad to help. He gives you a slight bow and then turns walking out of the meadow. Hi. What a nice guy. You would never know he'd been created by a psychopathic, murderous dragon. I mean, when he's not trying to kill you, he's pretty cool. Seems like he's been cut loose from whatever ties he had to her. Yeah, I can relate to that. I see a little of myself in the lad. You know, I'm really not sure how he's still around, though. Yeah, I asked, and he didn't know either. Hmm. Anyhow, um, back to business. This investigation... Kind of like what's going on with Colmas over there. Because of the connection to the Crooked Father, it seems like us gods are having a little bit of trouble seeing them. You know, it, it's like they're hidden from us. And uh, that's not good, first of all. So I, I don't know how much help I can be, but I'm going to go to the canopy. I'm going to go. Uh, I don't want anyone to know. And you won't know. If you see me, you won't know it's me. I'm going to go in secret. But I'm going to go and uh, I'm, I'm going to be there. I'm going to help out. You know, I want to make sure that whatever is going to be going on at the canopy, that uh, that I can put a stop to it. You know, 
so what I need you to do, Jim, she says, uh, flittering back over to her stump and having a seat, is go back again to the canopy. Tell Nephiel that I'm watching. Tell him that I'm not going to stand idly by anymore. Tell him a new age is dawning. Tell him that the gods are moving on the face of Manumi once again. When she says that, you feel a cool autumn breeze blow through the meadow, and you can just feel it deep in your soul, and it blows her hair back in the wind. And she is beautiful. I shall do as you ask. And just a bit of advice. Make sure you don't float like that while you're trying to hide. You know, that's a good point. I'll, I'll do that. I'll make sure of that. You go back, tell him what's up, and when you're done, once you've told Nephiel, you can move on. I, I actually need you to travel to the southern edge of Fallen Grove, go down way south, like as far south as you can go, close to the coast, where the drylands meet the forest. It's north of the road, but the southernmost part of the forest where the drylands sort of end. You can find it. You've got plenty of maps. Yeah, yeah. I'll, uh, the southern end where the drylands meet the road and the forest and there's north. Okay, I got it. Yep, you got it. Yeah, sounds like you've definitely, totally, absolutely got it. So you go there and don't worry, I'll find you. I'll come to you and then maybe we'll travel together, Jim. We've got some business to take care of. I look forward to it, milady. She gives you a slight nod, dismissing you. Jim nods in return pretty deeply, almost a bow, then turns and walks back towards the canopy. Antonia smiles as Jim walks away from her, out of her beautiful secret meadow. She smiles, a sad sort of smile, as he fades from her vision, and then sits back again on her stump, her eyes closed as she sighs. She runs her fingers through her thick brown hair and then lies back onto the stump, staring up at the darkening sky. What's done is done. No sense in worrying about it now, Atonia. She holds up a hand above her eyes, turning it over again and again. A faint orange glow emanates off from her coffee-colored skin. The chirping of crickets and other nighttime insects envelops the meadow in a chorus as a single glowing tear rolls down her cheek. It drips down onto the stump beneath her, and where it lands, a gorgeous orange, red, and green lily sprouts and blossoms beside her. She looks over at the vibrant autumn colors, but just then the lily changes. Weaving throughout the orange, red, and green comes a radiant silver and midnight blue, perfectly entwined. The flower grows, weaving up from the stump through her thick hair to rest behind her ear. She closes her eyes, brimmed with tears, but she can't help but smile at the tender touch of the flower. She stands, the lily tucked behind her ear, and reaches up, brushing the soft, radiant petals. It's cold to the touch. Thank you, my dear, she says quietly. Thank you. A drizzling rain settles in over the meadow as the deep orange glow of the sunset fades. Finally, the goddess sits up, letting her legs dangle off the side of her stump. Time to get going, I guess. 
She stands, her naked feet soaking in the wet grass. But as she takes her first step, she notices as the chorus of crickets and fauna grows silent in the darkness. Confused, she scans the meadow around her for the source of the disturbance. She spins around twice, saying nothing. If there was some predator or danger nearby, she should sense it. But in that moment, she realizes that she senses nothing. Nothing at all. No insects, no frogs, no woodland fauna, no life whatsoever. Stricken by this realization, Atonia feels something that she has not felt in a very, very long time. Pure, unadulterated fear. Overcome by the oppressive feeling of the emptiness that surrounds her, she does not hear the heavy footsteps approaching her in the darkness. Then suddenly, turning, she spots the tall, dark figure moving toward her in the lightless night. She stumbles back in surprise, tripping over a root beneath the grass. She falls back, catching her hand on the bark of the large stump. A small cry escapes her as she jerks her hand back, holding it. A few drops of thick, bright orange blood ooze from a gash in her palm. She stares at it in horror, temporarily transfixed as the dark figure grows nearer, towering over her on the forest floor. By the gods, is that blood, the figure says, his voice ending in a low growl as his eyes glow red in the rainy darkness. Finally coming to herself, fully realizing that something is not right, the goddess leaps to her feet in a flash, and with both hands raised, a burst of bright orange light burns toward the dark figure, pushing her back from him. The light of her power rolls over him like a wave, but he seems entirely unaffected as it sweeps past him across the meadow. In the glow of her power, dozens of hooded figures can be seen surrounding them with the tree line. Her eyes narrow at the dark figure standing before her, his red eyes still glowing in the night. Do not be alarmed, goddess. I only wish to speak with you for now. Who are you? She asks sharply. And why... Why can't I see you? I'm getting really, really tired of that. He chuckles darkly. <laughs> I expect you already know the answer to that, Otonia. Or, at least, you must suspect the reason by now. She stares back at him, silent. Tell me, your highness, how is it that a god bleeds with such ease? He asks, motioning toward the radiant blood on her palm. She looks down at the wound, and with a quick wave of her hand, the cut is gone. She shakes the blood free from her palm, and more vibrant lilies grow where it lands around her feet. Beautiful, he says. Absolutely magnificent. You truly are the most gifted amongst your brethren, goddess. Suddenly the trees begin to sway, moving back and forth in unison around them. Great thorny vines burst from the earth around Atonia as she begins to levitate off of the wet grass. From the ground, dozens of enormous swollen figures of earth, grass, and stone rise up around the meadow, lumbering like great earthen gorillas before the figures that surround them. Her eyes burn with a fiery light as she peers down at the dark figure. I will ask only once more, 
Who are you? Reaching up, he pulls back his thick hood. His skin, as black as the darkness around them, glistens in the light of her power. His eyes burn with a deep red. His long black horns curl back over his head, swirling down toward his scalp and then up again. My name is Lord Sebastian Blackfire, a child of the Nine Hells. And I have come now for you, Otonia. At that, she smirks, a small chuckle escaping her lips. <laughs> is that so? Well, that was obviously a huge mistake, one that I'll prove to you quite soon. Now tell me, Sebastian Blackfire, why can't I see you? It's his turn to smirk now. Ah, yes, that. I expect this is not the first time that you have experienced such a phenomenon. She doesn't respond. I thought not. Sebastian steps to the side running his hand softly down one of the thorny vines that stand swaying between the two of them. You cannot see me, as you say, because the gods are blind. She scoffs. <laughs> you know nothing of our power. We are not blind. We see all of our creation. Ah, but you see, don't you? He says, flashing his bone-white teeth in a wide grin. I am not your creation. That's where you're wrong, Tiefling. You may be a child of the Nine Hells, but your mortal flesh is a gift from the gods. So in that way, yes, you are our creation. Blackfire's smile widens, his canines prominent in the glowing light. But you see, goddess, you did not give me this flesh. My father did. Cold fear strikes through her chest, stopping her breath short. She stares at him, her eyes wide in recognition. You can feel it, can't you? The darkness inside me. You cannot sense it. You cannot see it. But you can feel it. <laughs> he laughs, leaning his head back in the rain. He opens his mouth wide his jaw stretching into an open maw, and from it pours thick darkness. The darkness floods over the meadow before Atonia has a second to react, and from it the beating of thousands of tiny wings. Twisted, crawling, inky critters flood across the meadow, covering her earthen beasts and vines in the span of seconds. There's barely a moan of resistance as the darkness devours her defenses, flooding over her flesh as well. She screams, blasting the demonic insects with her power. But the inky blackness washes over her like oil, dragging her to the ground and holding her there. Frozen to the forest floor by the darkness, thick as tar, panic rises in Atonia's chest. The din of a million tiny insect wings surrounds her, but she cannot move, even to turn her head and see. Then, the sound of enormous, booming footsteps. And into her vision comes what can only be Blackfire, but transformed. His body is elongated, twisted upward, and from it extend four long, black, bony arms. From his lower body, protruding from the sides, 
are four two-jointed legs ending in large clawed feet. His head is larger, but his face still maintains its chiseled jawline and wide blood-red eyes. Looking on the beast that he has become, his transformation concludes as his black horns extend upward from his skull, twirling and intertwining until they finish like antlers above his head in the shape of a black, swirly sigil. Deep from his chest, beneath the skeletal ribcage protruding, comes a fell voice. I am the Black Fire, the emptiness, God of the Hells, the Son of the Forsaken. Long have I waited in this realm for the opportunity to reveal myself to you and to all of my brethren. You locked away our crooked father, but the days of his imprisonment are at their end. With one of his long-fingered hands, he reaches into the thick black tar and yanks her free, squeezing her small body as he brings her face closer to his. His grin widens, showing his maw of long, sharp teeth. In but a few days' time, at your hour of power, you will help me, sister. He sniffs her, like a wolf smelling its prey. You are weakened. Your oath is broken. Your eternity is fading. He growls, tapping over her heart with a clawed finger. You have sacrificed the core of your power to help these useless sheep. But do not worry, he whispers into her ear brushing back her long brown hair. Your power will serve me yet. His jaws open wide and as quick as a serpent he strikes her neck, drawing deeply from her radiant blood. The cloaked figures stand resolute near the tree line as the rain falls harder and a torrent around them. As the wind whips through and thunder strikes overhead, no one, neither near nor far, hears as the goddess screams.